0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At this point,
1: most shows are winding down. Roy is just getting started.
0: The Roy Green
1: Show on the Chorus Radio Network.
0: This is a, um, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating concept that we're going to talk about, and it's a fascinating book that has been written by Dr. Adrian Owen, and uh, Dr. Owen is Canadian re- Excellence Research Chair in Neuroscience and Imaging at the Brain and Mind Institute at Western University in London, Ontario, and he is the author of Into the Gray Zone, a Neuroscientist Explores the Border Between Life and Death. And, uh, Dr. Rowan, thank you very much for taking the time to, to join us. And I want to talk to you about what you've discovered, some of the skepticism you encountered, what it means if, if people are able to, some still are able to understand here and see what's going on around them when they're in a state where we would consider them to no longer be able to do so just by observation. But uh, I'd ask you first, why the, uh, why the title of the book, Into the Gray Zone?,
1: that's an excellent question to start with. Um, you know, the, the problem is that some of these the patients that we've been discovering, and these are people who on the outside appear to be in conditions like the vegetative state or comatose, so they're entirely non-responsive uh, to any, any form of clinical investigation. And the assumption has always been um, that... They have no awareness. They don't know who they are or where they are or just the situation that they're in. The, the book is really about um, our quest to discover these patients, uncover them if you like, and eventually to go on to communicate with some of them. And the problem is that this condition has no clinical name. These are, these are patients who appear to be in conditions like the vegetative state, yet clearly they're not if we're able to find them with our, our new brain scanning techniques and even communicate with some of them in a manner that's allowed them to tell us that they're not in a vegetative state. Clearly, that's not the reality of the situation. So um, I was stuck, really, with, with there being no, no way of actually describing the patients clinically, and I, I, I decided to put them all together into something that I've, I've called the grey zone, and that is this, this area between life and death where we're never really sure exactly what is going on uh for uh for a fellow human being
0: most of us have been in the company of someone we care about as they are dying and uh, there's been a sort of an uncomfortable feeling that maybe maybe they know what we're saying so we should be careful about what we say i mean it's just just trying to be you know compassion comes out and and, and, and I remember uh, speaking with a nurse. My my audience, my listeners know that my wife died two years ago. And uh, I remember speaking with a nurse on the last night of my wife's life. And she was lying in the hospital bed, and she she looked extremely uncomfortable. And I, I said to her, to the nurse, can't you do something to, to help her? Can't you do something? I mean, you need to do something to help her. And she said, look we know your wife is not in any pain and i said how do you know that and they said we just we just know then they went on to say maybe what you need to do is is leave for 30 minutes tell your wife you're leaving and she'll allow herself to slip away and they say they see that again and again and again the patient stays well, not alert but alive it's hard for me to talk about this um, but it affects so many people. And then when you tell them they're, that you're leaving, they'll let themselves go. So I, I thought, so th- there's, a, there's a sense, maybe just by observation, that patients who are in the gray zone are aware of what's going on around them, just from the frontline um, medical personnel. And you, 20 years ago, you found that, as I understand it, you found that a female patient, and the presumption was that she was in a vegetative state, when photographs of people familiar to her was shown to her, her brain responded. So what have, are all these things tied together? I'm sorry if I'm being confusing.
1: No, you're not being confusing at all. You've actually touched on many of the themes that I I tried to cover in the book. Now, I mean, the first one, I'll just pick up your your final comment about Kate, the first patient we ever encountered. And I think that's um, historically very interesting, as you say, because 20 years ago, these patients and and many other uh, patients like them were really um, completely ignored. Nobody thought... It made any sense to to put a patient who was in a vegetative state into a scanner, uh, even more so to, to show them faces of their friends and families. People really thought this was a, a complete waste of time. And in Kate's case, um, as you say, her brain lit up and we, we did show that there was some potential there. There was some residual brain activity. And, you know, back then we didn't know exactly what it meant. But it was very significant uh, and it's very important. And, and that's why it's in the beginning of the book, because it started an entire discipline, if you like, an entire area of research. And uh, it started a lot of people questioning, well, you know, maybe there is more going on in some of these grey zone conditions than we than we previously thought. Um, I think, to, to return to your first point, the story about your wife, I mean, this again has been something that has motivated much of my research program over over the last 20 years and again it's a a theme i return to in the book which the problem with these situations is that you as the the caregiver or the husband or the the father of the patient you are are saddled with the responsibility of of making decisions that really you don't want to do and what, what if we could return some of that responsibility to the patients themselves. What if some of these patients do have some awareness? They have some sense of where they are and the condition they're in and what is likely to happen to them. Could we possibly return some of the decision-making uh, uh, potential to, to them, taking it away from uh, you know from their loved ones? Because as you very eloquently described, it, you know it, it is a terrifying and difficult situation to be in to be watching. Um, somebody you love, you know, in that situation, and I think we owe it to ourselves. Uh, we have a responsibility to try and understand these conditions, mm-hmm. uh, and possibly where we can return some some autonomy, as we say. Is, the,
0: is this the is this the objective um, of the of the exercise, or is it more broad based than that? Even it,
1: is this the objective? I'm sorry. I yeah, the, the
0: the objective of the research is it to to provide the person who's in the grey zone with the opportunity to make to continue to make some decisions through some communication that they're capable of, which I think would be quite amazing. Uh, Or is there 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 a a more broad-based application that you're looking to as well?
1: So I think that's the sharp point of the research in the sense that that's as far as we've come and we have... Uh, allowed, uh, we have been able to communicate with some of these patients yeah. and, and ask them to give us information that contributes to their quality of life. That's, but but the, the, the program itself is of course much broader than that it's to understand grey zone conditions, to understand what it's like to be in a situation where you can't move, you can't talk, you can't communicate, but you are aware yeah. uh, what's it like to have Alzheimer's disease, what does it actually feel like. So there are a lot of big questions in this, in this research program and, um, but uh, what you what you focused on is really, like, I guess, it's our, our greatest achievement so
0: far. Well, it, it it sounds really incredible. Have you been able then to actually communicate um, beyond the the patient twenty years ago, showing brainwave reactions to photographs that the patient was shown yeah. that was in the vegetative state? Has there been any? I don't know if the communicate, communication is the correct word, as, it, but but it's know, the it, word I'll use.
1: It absolutely is the right word, and it, it isn't the right word when applied to the to, to what we saw in in the patient's brain twenty years ago. Right. Uh, it, it, I guess in some sense she, she was communicating with us because her brain was responding to pictures. But yeah. you know, I I wouldn't call that communication. Um, it could have been an automatic brain response. We really didn't know what it means. But much more recently, um, I mean, as, as, as recently as, as, as 2012, 2013, um, we developed techniques that we used in patients here in London, Ontario, where we, we did actually communicate. And that is we asked them questions and they gave us answers and they gave us answers. Uh, or they had given us answers to questions that we couldn't possibly know the answers to. So we do now have a, a, a method using uh, fMRI or functional magnetic resonance imaging where we can ask some of these patients yes and no questions about whether they're comfortable, whether they are in pain, um, whether they would want anything to happen to them, what sort of therapeutic interventions they might want in future and these sorts of things. So the technology is here for real communication. I think that is the right word.
0: You didn't want to ask them if they were in pain.
1: You're right, I didn't. Um, That's only because... I I mean, I actually think it's a very good question um, because you know, the idea, I mean, the patient in question had been uh, supposedly in a vegetative state for more than a decade. That's a pretty horrifying thought for most of us. But the idea that he may have also been in pain for that period of time yeah. uh, really is, is is incredibly distressing. Most of us, I think, would understand how distressing that would be. And... Uh, so I've always thought, well, this is something where we can really make an impact. If we can find out who's in pain, we can we can deal with it. We can administer analgesics. And, uh, but it was it came it came very fast, which is why I didn't want to ask the question. The way it's written in the book, uh, that we, we we found a patient very quickly in London, Ontario. He started to communicate with us. We asked him basic questions like, do you know, where you are, do you know, what year it is, it's, uh, you know. And he was in the scanner, and I suddenly realised we had an opportunity. We could actually go to the next level and, and ask him whether he was in pain. And you know, I was reluctant, and I I consulted with his mother because she was there at the time, and I said, you know, do you mind if I do this because this is a this is a big deal.
0: And we have to take a break, uh, Doctor Owen. But it's about two out of ten patients who who do respond, or who can respond.
1: That's oh, right. About almost twenty percent of the patients that we see
0: can produce yeah. these these responses in this case. Okay. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back with Doctor Adrian Owen on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Fascinating book, Into the Gray Zone, a neuroscientist explores the borders between life and death. Stick around.
1: Big stories and even bigger guests.
0: This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You can uh, read my blog and you can listen to podcasts. Just go to my page, the show page, Roy Green Show page on any of the radio stations which carry this program, any of the chorus radio stations. Just go to the show page and listen back. You can, uh, you can download what we, uh, what we broadcast. You can, as I said, read my comments. And in two weeks' time, you'll be able to do that also on AM980 CKNW in Vancouver, one of the great radio stations in this country. So we're back on CKNW. Been gone a couple of years, but we're back with CKNW as of the 8th of July. and looking forward to that very much. Uh, an email, actually, a tweet from uh, at Terry Rooser As a nurse, I've seen your situation before many, many times. Nurses have known intuitively that hearing is the last thing to go. I'm well, speaking with Dr. Adrian Owen about his book, Into the Gray Zone, a neuroscientist explores the border between life and death, and about twenty percent of patients, and uh, the, the book says about twenty percent of patients, do, do do they communicate actively, or do they have the ability to communicate, Doctor Owen? We not have one on. Got to push the button first, Roy. Do they do they actually communicate, or do they have the ability to communicate? Twenty percent of them have have the ability to communicate. Okay, and and. How do you recognize this? Well, uh,
1: what we do is we put them into a scanner, into a, an fMRI or a functional magnetic resonance imaging scanner, and we ask them to imagine a cer- certain scenarios. And these are scenarios that we know activate particular parts of the brain. So, for example, if, if I were to tell you to imagine you were playing a game of tennis, this will activate a part of your brain known as the premotor cortex because that's the bit that's involved in sort of setting up sequences of actions like waving your arms around as you would if you were playing a game of tennis right now if we say that to a patient in the scanner we say well imagine you're playing tennis and this area of the brain bites up at exactly that moment i mean, it's the sort of brain's equivalent of saying uh you know your hand obviously you would know that they were aware and they were responsive well we basically do the same thing with the brain and obviously we we replicate it we do it a number of times and it's a little bit more sophisticated than i've I've described but that's the basic idea that we just get people to generate responses with their brains to tell us that they're in there
0: i just aced andy murray i'm sorry i just aced andy murray
1: Oh, very good! <laughs> yes, actually, I had the first person I ever tried this with was a healthy participant who I put in the scanner. I said, "Imagine playing tennis," and he came out. and I said, "How did you get on?" this? amazingly, I won three sets to two. So it's, just, it's yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's another possibility for good humour. Yeah. What? what uh,
0: how does the medical profession and 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 I find the doctors sometimes are the the last to accept significant change I, I don't know whether be, because there's a fear that uh, accepting significant change if it's wrong can create all sorts of additional and compounded problems but is the medical profession uh, accepting of your research do you have uh, or do you have skeptics
1: um well you know we've been doing this for about 20 years now and things have, have definitely changed i mean one of the points that i, I make at the end of the book is that science the, the 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 advance of science is amazing i i look for if i look forward now and try and imagine what we're going to be able to do in 20 years' time, it's, in, it's impossible to imagine. But yeah. if I look back over the last 20 years, I also can hardly believe how far we've come. And that's included some sort of trickle-down, if you like, of, of the scientific discoveries into clinical practice. So as I said before, 20 years ago, nobody thought uh, nobody thought that it was a good idea to put a vegetative state patient in the brain.
0: Yeah. It was no is, there a, is there a relationship between a vegetative state and being in a coma? We've just this week heard about the 22-year-old who was returned from North Korea. He died, unfortunately, a few days later. But uh, is there a relationship between vegetative state and coma?
1: There is. I mean, after a very serious brain injury, most of us will start off in a coma. and And, and that basically looks like you're asleep. You have eyes closed and you don't have sleeping and waking cycles. You're motionless, lying in bed. Mm-hmm. Vegetative patients open their eyes. They'll even look around the room. They'll they'll not fixate on anything, in particular. But the the key feature is that they have these sleeping and waking cycles. They'll go to sleep. They'll wake up. They'll open their eyes. They don't get up and walk around. They they still lie in a bed generally or on a seat. But um, they, they you know they are animate in some in some senses, and that's the truly mysterious thing about them because it's it's absolutely um, impossible to understand how they could
0: be like this,
1: yet lack any awareness. And that's actually the the mystery that's driven driven a lot of the science in the
0: brain. Right. I have 1 minute left I have one more question for you what's the biggest surprise you encountered
1: The biggest surprise is when we when we actually managed to communicate with somebody using brain imaging somebody who was supposedly in a vegetative state and had been that way for many years This was a, an absolutely extraordinary moment to to, uh, to to find out that there was somebody inside who had opinions who had uh, a life who had had experiences and who had witnessed every conversation taking place in their presence over the previous decades.
0: Well, it's fascinating with so much uh, incredible potential. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, uh, Dr. Owen. The Into the Gray Zone, a neuroscientist explores the border between life and death. I wish you all the best su- success with your ongoing research.
1: Thank you very much for having me, John.
0: All the best. Um, a fascinating book, fascinating to read and, uh, and to contemplate. So you still have the ability to see and 20% but to see and hear and understand what's going on around you as you're passing on to the next world. When we come back, it's going to be time for The Beauties, for Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, and Michelle Simpson. So normally what I do during the week is I send an email out to uh, the three of them, and I say, well, you know, what do you want to talk about? What's the issue that most, you know, most caught your attention, fascinated you the most? this past week, and they all said the same thing. The sniper shot by the uh, JTF-2 um, soldier member of the uh, JTF-2 Special Forces Counterterrorism Unit. So Catherine, Linda, and Michelle, and the beauties and the beast when we return.